Hello, and welcome to the Outlier Podcast, the podcast for everyone who's interested in building better homes. My name is Sandra, and I am hosting this podcast with Anthony, the founder and lead designer at Outlier Studio, who is passionate about creating beautiful and high-performing homes. Together, we sit down once a month to chat with industry experts and to answer your questions about high-performance homes. We want to educate Australians about the possibilities of energy-efficient design and to change the way we build houses today. We hope you join us on that journey. We've reached a thousand followers on Instagram and we were absolutely stoked about that. So we decided we wanted to get to know you guys a little bit more and ask you some questions. And one of those questions was, what is your biggest worry that you have when it comes to potentially building a house and especially a passive house? And the majority of answers we got was that you are worried about the budget and the cost of your build. And that makes a lot of sense. It's a lot of money that you're going to put into that project. So we decided to team up with our trusted building consultant and builder, David, from EcoWise Homes and have a little interview Q&A session with your questions and see if we can maybe take that worry away a little bit and hopefully get that project built for you. So without any further ado, let's head right into the Q&A. And uh, yeah, if you have any further questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. Ask away. We're here to inform you. We're here to help. And we're here to build better homes for the future. So let's get right to it. Okay, now I'm here with uh, David and Anthony, our two professional expert consultants. Good morning to you guys. Good morning, Sandra. How are you guys? How are you going? Thanks for taking the time to answer the questions that the people have asked us. And I know cost is probably something that bothers you a lot in your in your work and you're getting asked about it a lot. So I figured maybe we'll just start off by telling the people how you calculate your building costs. Like what is the process for you, Anthony, and maybe also you, David, after how do you come up with a budget for a build? Yeah, certainly. Um, so I will add that as designers, we, we have an, an understanding of cost, but we're certainly not experts. Uh, and that's where we... We'd love to have a builder with us from day one of that design phase to ensure that we, we've got that budget on track. Um, because without having that budget checked, there is no build. Um, so that design will never, never come to life. So working with David collaboratively like in that process is just so valuable. Like it, it's real, I couldn't speak more highly of it. Um, for David, I'm not sure how you feel about that process, but um, and how you calculate building costs. But yeah, no, the the process is amazing. Um, but the the way that we calculate the building cost is so um, a client will engage Anthony and also me to be a consultant throughout the design. And um, to start determining the cost of the project, we use project sheets. So that uh, has um, our past projects and how much per square meter those projects cost. And then that way we can compare it to this new design and just sort of see where it's going to fit sort of per square meter. That way we can come up with an idea of the, you know, the design. Um, Anthony then will develop a, a set of concept plans. And that after that, we go through the process of doing a feasibility costing. So the feasibility costing is a, a detailed estimate, a very thorough estimate that um, I will sit down, calculate all the material involved in the build, um, all the labour involved in the build, and also any trades and suppliers pricing as well. And then on top of that, we have our builder's margin, which is standard. And then um, after we've done the feasibility costing, we have a really um, good, clear understanding of 
how much the um, the project is going to cost. And then from there, there is some revisions and um, estimations made and maybe potentially another feasibility. And then we move forward into the cost analysis, which is the exact same process, except this time we have all the information required as far as um, engineering, um, soil tests, so we know exactly what's going to be built as far as structurally and also Anthony would have gone through the design process um, with his team and would have a really clear understanding of all their specifications as far as tiles, um, plumbing fixtures, appliances involved in the project. So yeah. Yep. So yeah, just to go back a step there, um, for those who are sort of saying, well, I'm, I'm not certain if I want to commit to a full concept and go through a whole pre-construction phase and design phase, that's where those project sheets are just so helpful. Um, so if you come approach myself or the team and say, look, this is kind of what we're thinking um, and outline a bit of a, a, um, a wish list and sort of an, an image of what your the, the aesthetics of the home might be. So we can sort of say, okay, yeah, we've got a project really similar to that. And we can look at the project sheet and say, look, this is sort of what you've got in mind. And I say, yeah, that's pretty close. We know what that's cost. We've had that, we've had that costed and we can say, look, I think this is kind of where this would be then. Um, so it's really about just aligning those expectations as well at the start and making sure that we're all on the same level. And um, yeah, that, extremely helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I, was, I sort of feel in the building industry, there's a um, a real misconnection between the design process and the construction process. And Anthony and I are trying to, to bridge that gap and obviously having me involved in, as a consultant. Um, but a, a lot of projects will go through design and, you know, they might get the plans to a preliminary sort of stage and they'll email it out to a few different builders to tender. And because that builder may have potentially 10 different quotes or estimates he's doing at that stage, he's not going to put too much effort into it. He's not going to know the sort of specifications involved in it and he's going to skim over things and, you know, he, he may come back with a price and it suits your budget. But then once it actually comes time for him to do his final quote and he's got a full set of specifications, all of a sudden it's, hang on, 100,000 or even more above your budget. So, yeah, yeah. I, I had an experience very early on in my career where this happened to myself, where I was working with clients, we finalised the design and, and had some indication from some builders of the, the price and that was enough for them to be sort of content to move forward. And, we ended up finalising construction documentation, full engineering package. It was ready to go for a building permit, essentially. And upon having all of that further information, it was then priced and it was considerably high and well above those clients' budget. And um, they expressed to me just how disappointed they were in me that they were never going to be able to build that home. And uh, yeah, that that's exactly that spark that I needed to say, right, this industry, the way this is working in industry currently does not work. And there's got to be a better way to do this. And um, I can say that, yeah, safely say that, you know, we've found that way to do that now. We can ensure that what we're what we're creating together as a team will get to fruition. It will, it will be built. Yeah, that's awesome. Because when you go to a designer, you go through that whole process, you have your heart poured into that uh, house that you're building. Yeah. And then you're just told it's not going to happen. That must be, yeah, pretty crushing for them. So it's great to see that there's options for people to have more security and know exactly that their budget is going to be held. Um, how do costs for a passive house compare to traditional building costs for per square metre? What percentage increase is there to make your home a certified passive home? Yeah, right. So how long is a piece of string is always the answer you'll get to that question. However, to give some more solid response to that, we might use one of our current certified passive houses as an example. 
Um, so looking at the feasibility costings on this, we felt that it would probably be probably $100,000 more to go to that certified level from a say a standard, from a custom build level. Um, so remove those high performance components. Now that home was, I can't, can you recall the sizes? David, on that? 255 square metres. Including garage. Yep. Yeah, so 255 square metres, including garage. Um, that's in a in a an estate. Um, it's surrounded by all new builds as well. So nice and flat level ground. Yeah. So just to give sort of some context to like what we're working with here. Uh, brick, uh, so there's a covenants in there as well. So majority of it's brick construction. Um, yeah, so to say, yeah, that would be around 100,000 more, say from that, that average custom home at a say 255 square metre footprint. Um, that's probably as much as we can sort of, yeah, make comment on that. It's so varies between, yeah, metro and regional pricing as well and um, the size of the home. So hopefully what, that. What do these 100K go towards? Yeah, so that's items as far as the air tightness, so the, the actual products you install for air tightness, but also one of the biggest costs with air tightness is the labour involved in it. Um, you know, to make a house airtight, the details going to be very precise. Um, small little leaks can really add up, especially with passive house, getting that air tightness. Um, HRV, so heat recovery ventilation unit, so that's the, the unit that blows fresh air into the house and exchanges it so you don't lose the uh, temperature. Um, glazing and also insulation is a um, they're, they're sort of the, the main components. Yeah, no, absolutely. I suppose the one thing to add to that though is that we are working. We acknowledge the fact that that's not something that everyone can afford in their budget. You know, let's say that hundred thousand um, dollars, and truthfully, it probably may be more than that um, once we have final selections and whatnot. But we're looking at more of a hybrid approach to this. So what we're finding at the moment is that it is really challenging to, as Australia is only just newer, newly adopting passive house construction, we're finding that we still are playing catch up. That there's a lack of materials that we have to um, that we have available to us in this in Australia. We, we have to import um, on pretty much every project, whether in some capacity, um, whether we're doing it through a distributor or directly. Uh, so yeah, there certainly are some limitations there that. Uh, one of the reasons that the cost is a, a, a little bit higher. So we're looking at a bit of a hybrid approach. So we're trying to re, uh, reassemble, I suppose, those components that, like the airtight membranes, like how can we look at that and use it as a more conventional material? So we're looking at plasterboard as airtight layers, and um, I'm sure, David, you could probably add on that a little bit um, with things that we can look at with this sort of hybrid approach that we're now taking? Yeah, so it's 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 trying to remove the internal airtight membrane and use it as plaster board for it. And also um, with that, there's um, details and connections that we've got to make sure that we continue their plaster airtight through into the wall um, airtightness. Um, but yeah, like the, 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 what Anthony and I are putting together, it's definitely going to cut the costs um, of that extra hundred thousand you would be looking at for a certified passive house um, by you know potentially fifty percent. We sort of believe at this stage, um, yeah, and like probably potentially you know you could install less quality windows, not you know still high performance windows, but not certified passive house windows. Yeah. So just to clarify, when we say hybrid, we're not sort of talking about actual certified. Um, we realise that in our opinions, that certification is maybe not it's out of reach of most we're trying to look at this from the perspective of the average person like ourselves you know we, we certainly um may you know 
can't speak to yourself, David or Sandra. You know, I, I definitely couldn't probably afford that extra outlay for a certified passive homes. Um, but I want to try and achieve the highest performance home I can. So by doing that, we're looking at sort of that hybrid approach. So not going for certification, but um, yeah, looking at still a very high performance home. Definitely. Uh, the early results are indicating that it's performing to those sort of levels um, with air tightness. And, and um, obviously the windows are great, high performance windows, but they're not certified passive house, but still performing great. Um, and yeah, we believe yeah, that we're aiming for a 50% cost reduction comparative to certified. Um, yeah. Really excited about that. So yeah. we'll be more about that uh, in the near future. We'll that's amazing. That. Yeah, that's. I mean, imagine if I'm building a home and I'm coming to you and saying, "Look, I want a high-performing home. I want it as insulated and as efficient as possible without the certification." And you're telling me, "Okay, you're looking at an additional, let's say, um, fifty thousand dollars." So that's a great value for money because if we're looking at how well that house is going to be performing, we're having money savings for cooling for heating for maintenance for servicing so what time frame are you looking at roughly to have that 50k just back in the bank just by saving on these expenses well if we look at that example again of that particular project that um if we if we remove them from certified passive house to the sort of the hybrid um approach that we're talking about it could be within 10, it could be 10, 10 to 15 years, hopefully closer to 10. Um, I mean, that's working on today's current sort of market. And I mean, obviously energy prices are just going to increase. So it could be 10 or that, yeah, getting closer to 10. So yeah, like at the end of the day, most people are living in their homes for those sort of um, time periods anyway. The average regional Australia lives in their homes for 10, 15 years, I believe. So the payback will occur within that time frame. Um, and if it's a healthy, comfortable and affordable home, truly, we'd, we'd like to see you stay there for longer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it should be a no brainer, really, especially given the fact that people are going to be working from home way longer. You're going to be spending more money on heating your home. Um, so, yeah, if you're building a high performance home, you can save a lot of money down the road for sure. Yeah. And obviously all the discussion about this is around the cost side of the um, projects and that, but like. Just their health and the the how comfortable actual high, high performance home is to live in. Like it's you know it, it's you know to me it's a, a no brainer. But um, yeah, yeah, I'm sure it's been highlighted in the last eighteen months to two years of everyone working from home. What have your energy bills been like? How comfortable have you been? Have you been hot, cold? Where yeah. we're able to reduce all of that and make it far more comfortable. You know, far more healthier to be inside all the time um, whilst working, and of course, yeah, definitely reduce those operating costs um, with the heating and cooling in particular. Yeah, that's awesome. So, um, to get a bit more practical. Um, what would you say is an appropriate price per square meter to build in your home, considering we're going to take this hybrid model? Yep. So. Um, if you're looking at the hybrid models or, uh, you know, the high performance home, I, I believe you'd be looking at um, 2,500 per square metre as, as a starting point. Um, and if you're looking to go for a certified passive house, you're probably looking at $3,000 per square metre and up. Um, but once again, it's, it's I, I hate square metres because every project's different, every project's unique. Um, but I understand, you know, we're going to have a starting point to work from. Um, yeah. But yeah, every project should be based on its own merits, and um, you know, you can have projects up around six thousand square meter if it's you know, very, very, very architecturally designed and some you know great details and that sort of thing. But yeah, yeah, 
And, you know, again, that's where those project sheets really help with that. We can sort of outline that from the beginning and, and equate that as a starting point on a square meterage rate. Um, we've got that, that particular design-wise, square meterage-wise, versus the final pricing. Yeah. Um, again, also differs between regional and metro. That's kind of working on regional pricing. Um, can't speak too much for metros. We haven't got a great deal of uh, projects down there yet. So, Looking at it from a little bit of a different perspective, but staying within the, the hated square metres, I'm sorry, David. That's right. <laughs> Um, when potentially um, money or the budget is not that big of a limitation, but I'm not sure how big of a home I want to build. What is the kind of the pressure point where I can say, okay, it doesn't make sense to go bigger for the amount of additional cost it will have? Is that does that make yeah. sense? So I believe a, a good design team can quite quickly determine, you know, your family and your needs and what size home you know, you need. Um, I know in Australia we do generally build quite large homes. Um, yeah, well, I think currently, or definitely fluctuates between America and ourselves, but I think Australia's still number one, yeah. as far as the size of a home goes. So we'll just put that in context as well. Um, yeah, so yeah, the expectation, <laughs> the expectations that the average Australian has might be a little bit skewed compared to the rest of the world as to what they think they need. First, uh, I can give, tell you firsthand as a German, it's ridiculous how big the houses are here. I'm I'm used to living in little shoeboxes, but yeah. <laughs> you call it a shoebox now, but you, you use that terminology prior to moving to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> probably it's probably not. a comfortable-sized apartment. Um, yeah. No, and that's fair enough. Like, if that's culturally, that's what we're used to as well. We have to appreciate that and yeah, sure. uh, you know, allow for those considerations. But it's it really comes down to the difference between say the average Australian volume builder home, whoever we are talking about, is that we actually have another aspect to achieve here, and that's the high performance aspect of the home. So we want to try and ensure that we're providing or consulting on the fact that this will achieve as per how we want it to. To do things, to, to achieve that, it helps to have a smaller footprint. Um, it helps to have, uh, you know, a, a not to have a great deal of perimeter of building. So the glazing to wall ratios overall are important. Um, the more glazing we have, the harder it is to, get, it is to make it perform. As we know, like we've touched on in our articles on our website and previous chats as well, the glazing is a giant hole in your wall. Um, comparative with the windows that we like to work with, you have an R4 wall bat in the wall, but that R, the, the equivalent R value being the U value of a window is probably around only 0.6 R. So it's not comparable as far as I'm concerned. So we try to limit the amount of glazing, keep those ratios under control. And that's also assisted by having you know, a, a reasonable perimeter of the building. A rectangle is a great example. We want to aim for that. Um, nice and easy to, to make that work. And that also translates internally as well. As with airtightness, the entire external building is considered the airtight fabric, so, or, or the envelope, uh, as opposed to sometimes when we see um, more, more of a Australia, we have a NATO's assessment for energy rating. And you'll see them zone off conditioned and non-conditioned spaces internally to try and reduce the heating and cooling loads within certain areas of the home, like a bathroom, non-conditioned. We don't want to try and heat and cool that, but the living, yes, we want to try and heat and cool that. However, with, with an airtight home, we're intending to look at that as the whole home. Um, so that is a larger volume. And we want to try and ensure that that volume is, as, uh, you know, is, is confined as much as possible to the requirements of the client's needs is it does have high heating and cooling demands as well. So it's important that, uh, yeah, we're, we're able to try and keep that at a, a comfortable 
size to, to achieve that high performance. Now, it doesn't answer the question entirely because there is a, a bell curve there and there is a magical point. Mm. Again, that is something that we would want to chat with that an individual about and say, okay, that's what your wish list is. This is what we, based on our experience or past projects, we'll put the project sheets again. <laughs> um, we can say, yeah, this is about the square meter you're looking at it and this is what we would advise on that. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think it just comes back to, you know, keep getting your team together, have a, have a designer, have a builder on board, whether it's myself or Anthony or anyone. Um, that way, you know, you can make some good, clear decisions and get some professionals involved to, you know, to, to, to work out exactly what you need and, you know, what your budget is. So, yeah. Yeah, because um, yeah, there are some, some exceptionally large certified passive homes out there as well as there are small. So, um, you know, it, it, it's more down to our expert advice um, or consultation on your brief, your brief of what you you desire. Um, there's also other aspects which we can, we won't branch into today, such as sustainability. So, you know, we want to size the rooms on standard material sizes like plaster sheets and timber lengths, etc. Um, so that we reduce offcuts and wastage on site, um, which is also a consideration we, we take into account when designing. Um, another question, uh, it's going a little bit into a different direction. So if you have an existing home and chances are, if you've bought a home a couple of years ago, the energy efficiency is not that great. You probably have some single glazing going on. And yeah, if people want to pacify their home or just make it a little bit more high performing, how do they calculate if it makes more sense budget wise to tear it down and build new or to actually renovate and try to insulate that existing home? It's a pretty yeah. hot topic at the moment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's also a bloody difficult one to answer uh, <laughs> because it can depend on demographics. Where's it located? Is it you know how aesthetically pleasing it is is it heritage listed um yeah there's heaps of things involved in it heaps of constraints can exist on each individual property so i suppose maybe again it could might be good to use an example um so we might work on sort of your a very common home in australia is a cream brick home often you know the three or two tier cream brick home um they're sort of a they're very much a very copy and paste type floor plan very frequently seen throughout victoria and melbourne um, we've quite a few here in regional um, Victoria as well. And then what, average 160 square meters or so. Yep. So on an average 160 square meter um, footprint for, a, we're not gonna talk about extension, we're just gonna keep it onto a renovation here. Uh, yep. If you were to strip it apart and re-alter the floor plan and bring out everything internally is new. Yeah, so I, I think if we're gonna go down that path of doing that and you know, you might be able knocking out the odd wall to open up the living area and perhaps, you know, the, the the wet areas as far as the laundry and bathroom were relatively staying in the same sort of area, you know, to, to, to bring that to a sort of a um, a high performance sort of home, um, you know, you could be looking at around 300, 350,000 for that. Um, but it's once we start going airtight with the renovation is where some extra costs, a lot of extra costs can occur. It's because you're trying to put building airtight membranes on a house that already has stumps and wall connections and roof connections. It's just the detailing as far as cutting around all the different connections and just the labour component. So, you know, potentially if, you, if you're looking to go airtight, you know, you could be up around 400,000 or something like that to, to bring a renovation up to an airtight sort of, you know, um, standard. And that's, you know, that's basing it off of that example we just gave us sort yeah. of your 160 square metre 
brick, uh, cream brick home. Um, you know, obviously that just completely changes every time you step into a new scenario with yeah. a new, new home or building. It, it, it could easily be more, um, but like once again, every project you need. Um, yeah, the best approach that we would advise to anyone in, in that situation is engage a designer and a building consultant who who offers a service, a consultation service, at the very minimum, a consultation service to come to the um, give you a, a site, come for a site visit. So the designer and builder are both there. In fact, even a structural engineer, if necessary, would be very helpful in, in this scenario. And walk, do a walkthrough and, and the client to explain what their intentions are, like what, they, what their expectations are. And that way we can get a first-hand account of, of what is, what, what is the intent, yeah, what the scope of works are, I suppose. And David can see what condition the actual building's in. That if you if you step through the front door and fall through the floor, well, maybe you are better off demolishing um, because you're going to have to strip that whole home down uh, to get it back to where it needs to be. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't know if you've got anything further. To yeah, it, it really does depend on the existing condition of the home. Um, you know, if the home needs restamping or even it has been restamped, but it's still a long way to level to bring it up to a sort of a, a level condition. Same with the walls, they're a long way to plumb. We need to, you know, plumb up all the walls, re-straighten all the walls. And that, and once again, labour with renovations is huge and, you know, you can uh, in, and have a fair price increase. But, yeah, it's just about getting your team together. And I'm sure within a... Um, a, a building designer and a builder and potentially a structural, structural engineer on site can quite quickly determine, you know, the process going forward with Anthony doing some concepts on site, um, you know, myself, you know, determining some prices and that sort of thing, or some different scenarios and that. So, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're able to put together some schematics, uh, plans, and, you know, to really help and assist with that as well um, if the conversation develops further before committing to, say, an entire process with ourselves, design process with ourselves. And, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, it's again completely the locations as well. Like yeah. a home in regional Victoria, that price point is going to be a lot lower where you consider the demolition. If we're just focus, and again, we're just focusing on a, a pricing perspective here, not sustainability or, or any other. We're just honing in on that. So yeah, that price point here might be a lot lower than let's say in some of the inner suburbs of Melbourne, where yeah. the home value might be a couple of million dollars, and that renovation can be considerably higher. We can achieve that outcome um, within that sort of, um, yeah, that tipping point on the scale or, or that bell curve. Yeah, so I guess at the end of the day, it's best to just get the experts in really and have the consultants on your side to have a founded, like a foundation to make a proper decision, if it makes sense to go either way. I, I truly do believe like in the design stage, whether it's a, a new build or renovation or extension, and or whether you're weighing up extension renovation slash new builders, you, you, you need to invest a little bit of money to get some really great um, insight from some professionals and that. Absolutely. Yeah, and you can save money if you invest that little bit early on. You're going to save yeah. so much money down the road if you don't do it and you don't know what you're getting yourself into. All of a sudden, you're looking at plus 10% in your budget and the project is, might just never happen. So it's definitely a worthwhile yeah. investment. Exactly. No, it's there's so many examples. Um, I think reason we're chatting about this, I mean, heard figures as high as 50 to 60% of designs actually don't get through to construction. Um, majority of those due to budget. So yeah. yeah, those few hundred dollars that you outlay for an initial consultation with the, with the right people, design, builder, engineer, um, will could potentially save you thousands of dollars, which is one aspect, but the other one that hurts is the emotional. Mm -hmm. 
to go through such a lengthy process and can be so emotionally attached to this design, which is your home where your family will live and reside and grow, to have that taken away from you at the end of that whole design process because you couldn't get it to where it needed to be to be built for budget, uh, that can be that can be avoided for you know yeah. such a small little outlay and time commitment at the very beginning. Yeah, awesome. All right, I saved the most important questions for last. These uh, came from our good friend Clint that I know you guys are very familiar with. Thanks, um, and Clint wants to know, David, do you ever get mistaken for Hollywood actor Jason Statham? I see a little bit of that has actually happened a couple of times, yeah. to be honest, yeah. <laughs> and, and just so all the followers know I'm a badass just like him. <laughs> <laughs> so you can have Jason Statham build your home. That's <laughs> plus. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> And Anthony, there's some resemblance that Clint saw too. Are you familiar with MasterChef contestants Simon Tui? Because he thinks you look a little bit like him. <laughs> I was not, but the, the first night that aired, I received a good three to four messages <laughs> from people saying, hey, <laughs> what are you doing on MasterChef? Um, just so you know, I can't cook. He <laughs> <laughs> can just die at home. Yeah, that's, that's what my talents like. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for having this chat with me. I hope we could answer everyone's questions. If there's more questions, just let us know. We're happy to dive into it again and just be transparent about it and hopefully make all these projects happen.